Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, Dan. So you missed my text, huh? I did. I, what time did you send? I don't even know when you said like, it. It was like 6 o'clock. No big deal. Was it really? Oh yeah, God. so as we record this, it's 7.15 Central Time, and I sent him a text at like 6 saying that we were recording at 6.30. <laughs> so it's been a – this is okay. Um, the, I, it took me an extra 10 minutes because I had to set everything up because I, I was recording, but which is why my Phantom Power wasn't on. Um, ah, that's what it was, Phantom Power. So – how about that game bowl? That's that's going to be tonight, right? That's going to yeah, happen tonight. I, I, I know, and I can't watch it tonight. You know, I can't wait. That's I, why I'm glad we're podcasting early because I'm like, I'm going directly from this episode to sit on my couch. I'm going to sit down and watch it. I, I, I'm sorry to all my friends who don't want don't listen to this podcast anyway because they're not guitar players that come over. I am going to watch it tonight, and then I will watch it again with them, and possibly have to watch it two more times this week because one friend might come over, but the other one's sick right now, and he doesn't want to come over. And sick. Yeah, yeah. So what's new in the, the guitar avenue right now? All right, so I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about something that is finally, I'm hoping, done with being clickbait because I want to talk about, I want to talk about what Gibson has done. So, um, you know, the changes that they've made, yeah, so the Gibson, the Gibson stuff in general, right? Because like Anderton's, yeah. did, I, Anderton's did a video, I want to say a couple of days ago, but it might have been longer than that, where they were talking about the 2019 line. Yeah, they've they've done six videos, five videos. Yeah, they've they're going to do each of the models and then all the smaller guitars and like basic. I, and I wonder if there's been some money changed hands there or if it's just to pad Anderton's own pockets on that. Um, yeah. I mean, the gist of it is, essentially this right that they that gibson listened to their customers and they said okay so finally going to make the les paul standard like the basic model les paul that you get with you know buying the basic real model les paul you get which and was that, the tradition right well the tradition so i don't know i mean the traditional is supposed to be that but even the traditional had it wasn't exactly what people were looking for so like they've gone to the insane details of like making sure that the binding is the right thickness um, and making sure that, I, I mean, it's just, some of the stuff is just superfluous. And like, I 
think it's a little overkill. But there are a couple things I really like. Number one, they don't have circuit boards anymore. Think right, right. They went to the for they went to the wiring and going directly to the yeah. To the pots. Thank God the circuit board whole thing is like. I, I don't know what possessed them to think that they were going to change the industry by using circuit boards. Okay, so I want to talk about positives, but I always want to, I also want to talk about some of the things that they're that being forgotten. So um, obviously the positive is they've gone away from that circuit board, at least in the list of standard. I don't know about the modern series because I haven't, I haven't seen them open one of those up. Although I, I know that they, um, the Anertons did a video on it. And pretty much what the modern is was what the standard was. Okay, so they took the modern, and instead of having that high-performance thing, they said, okay, here's the modern, and that's got your push-pull, and that's got your dip switches, and that's got all your... And I want to point out that they didn't go overboard on that either. They didn't... They, I Correct me if I'm wrong, I, I haven't looked at the spec exactly one, but I know that they left out certain features that people really liked. No, not really, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course, okay. that people really liked in the 2018s and, and earlier. That's right. Like, Robot tuners, right? Robot tuners are gone. They're gone forever. What about now, the uh, what about the nut that does the zero fret nut? Zero fret nut's gone. And but they have kept some of the features that I liked about it, and that's the um, the belly cut, uh, the nerve, yeah, the belly cut, the curve of the neck. Um, they've they've changed the way that uh, uh, the the neck meets the body. So um, so wait. The Les Paul Modern is is a modern Les Paul? Who would have thought? Who'd have thunk it? Right? <laughs> who'd have thunk it? And who'd have thunk that the standard should have been standard the whole time? They, did, but, they, they didn't try to hide it behind I I this is what I appreciate. They didn't try to hide it behind marketing BS names. Right. And the other thing is now the the um as of this release, now there were 2019s that are before this, because um I'm gonna go into that here in a minute. But there were 2019s that came before this, right? There was a 2019 line that had the standards that were still like the other standards, the 2018 standards, where they had all the crap in it. What it is is the new the new one as of 2019. This is what's important. This is the thing to remember. The standard is now the standard. There's no year. You get you get a 50s or you get a 60s. Right. You get P90s, first bucker twos, or first bucker threes, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. So you get... Um, a thinner neck, hotter burst buckers, weaker burst buckers, thicker neck, or P90s, thicker neck. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice and easy. Um, obviously, I think that they will probably come out with a 60s with the – I don't know if they will be in that line, but there's a possibility they'll put some uh, P90s and some 60s ones. But for the most part, that's where you are. So then you've got – get a lot of things. What a lot of people are forgetting on the finish types, like they the, did. The, they, what the fifties model only comes in gold top. Um, one of them only comes in gold top. The P ninety one. That's the fifties. That's it. Yep. There's a there's a second fifties that comes in a couple of colors, and that's gold top and a and a T. Uh, yeah, the T the T burst or whatever. T burst, and then you've got the sixties ones only comes in three colors. So you're done, and it isn't like. Blueberry burst or or orange berry fruit loop. Yeah, and yeah, and it's um uh, a standard. You don't have Cheerios um and and <laughs> and peanut butter cat and crunch colors. You have you have um uh, real colors. 
So, and they aren't going to be, they aren't going to be year model anymore. So you'll have a serial number that you'll be able to track through a year, but they're not going to change them every like next year. Oh, that next year, we're going to put these pickups in. Next year, we're going to put these pickups in. Next year. Do you know what I love? Yeah. They only offer one SG without a pick guard. Integrate? Yep. The SG Modern, and it's only available in two finishes, which means you're not going to get these shoved down your throat. That's right. Which which is what I hate. Um, so, Because I'm an SG guy. Like, If I was going to buy another right. Gibson, I would probably not buy an SG. I'm pro- I'm, my days of buying Gibsons are probably done, to be honest with you, right. and, and I can get into that. But more. if you were to buy a Gibson. But if I was to buy a Gibson, yeah. I gravitate towards the sound of the SG. Mm-hmm. Um, I own an SG right now. I'm probably not going to keep it for any length of time. Um, but I'm looking over here. So they have the one that's the SG modern. That's no pick guard. Okay. They have two other in the modern series that are SGs, uh, which is a standard attribute. Um, did they get away with the, did they do away with fadeds? Are they calling tributes now? Yeah. Tribute tributes. Yeah. No more fadeds. I didn't realize it was like, there's a tribute and there's a faded and there's a classic. And there's a well, tribute. this SG, this SG standard price is, is not ridiculous. It's, no? it's significantly more expensive than I had anticipated, but it's a, but it's a modern, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 1500. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the price on their website. So who knows what they're actually going to go for at dealers. I imagine it's probably the price of dealers. It's pretty close. Um, so the, um, uh, the one that is not modern is how much? Uh, the standard 61. Yep. It's a 61, so it's more expensive. It's 1800 Okay, yeah. Because it has the, the old-style neck joint. Yep. And then if you want it with a Vibrola, it's an extra 200 bucks. Right. So I think that I think the Gibson's going down a correct, a correct path. If you look up the new standard, the new standard is coming in at, what, 2200 $2, I mean, I, so, I, 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 personally, I still think the SG should be around 1200 bucks, But... Um, I do, too. I, I'm still... I'm thinking that the SG shouldn't because it just doesn't have the retail sale uh, or the resale value. Kind of, well, the problem yeah. is it's got a lot of compromises in the design. That's ah. and and that's been the issue with it from the beginning is that like where they put the uh, the strap pin and all that kind of stuff, yeah. like that makes that guitar less desirable because it it's not as functional. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So that's that's my big gripe with mine. It's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You got to put the strap on backwards. Well, and, it po- and it pokes you in the gut and like everything yep. else. It's, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, uh, when you look at um, uh, guitar players as a whole, some of us have a little bit of weight on that. Um, well, it's, it's fine if you only play it like once in a while. Cause I, I got along with it for like a year before I even realized like that that was going to be an issue for me. And it was not like a honeymoon period. It was just that I wasn't playing the guitar daily. And when I started to like, I have to strap it on every time I played it and then play it daily. Like I realized, man, like I love the sound of the guitar. I had Nick make me a set of pickups for it. Um, and honestly, I feel like I got my rental money out of it, but I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Well, you got it for a decent price too. And you, you got it, I got it for 800 new. Yeah. I was going to say so that you could sell that easily. Yeah. I'm going to get, I'm probably, I'll probably get an eight or nine out of it. I mean, yeah. that's what I figure. So, yeah, so you'll you'll be fine. You're gonna break even on that. You're never gonna. Um, yeah, you're never gonna break sweat on that one. Um, and yours is a decent decent shape. You you take good yeah, care. It's, yeah, it's in great shape actually. I think there's like one tiny ding at, at the headstock. Yeah, and that's it. Yep. 
That's it. Take it three hundred dollars off. No, so yeah. Good luck. Um, <laughs> you know, it yeah. goes for you. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to say is the the thing that uh, that's a lot of good stuff. Here's here's the thing that I want to say about people. They're fickle and they really don't know what they want. No, they don't. The truth is, if if uh, I see this um, um, guitar podcast and YouTube channels and everything else, if you only did this, I'd buy that guitar in an instant. They do that and they don't sell them. Um, I think it was Bob Taylor who was talking about, you know, people were like, oh, we Bob love Taylor, to buy electric guitars. talked about it. Yeah. And then he's like, I did electric guitars and you didn't buy. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me you're going to buy them when you didn't buy them. You, you pull he, he, at least he's realistic about it and Paul Ritz the same way. So I guess, I, I guess that what I'm saying is, are people really looking for Gibson to go down this extremely um, uh, basic route? And I'm not talking about the colors. I think that, I think removing skews is a great idea. But do they really want the standard to be a standard? And are they really willing to pay the price of a standard at standard prices? Well, honestly, I think the price the prices went down. Number one, it did because because the features went down a lot. And well, they're not making as many, so they don't have to have as much tooling and like different sprays and all that. Um, so their so their equipment costs and probably their labor costs also went down too. Anytime you have to switch oh, things yeah. online, like it costs money. But um, with regards to your your uh, suggestion that you know maybe this is not really what people want. Um, I think right now Gibson has to do this regardless, not just to deal with the customer base, but because for Gibson, they are not the preferred guitar company right now. Most right. people who are going into guitar stores and buying things are buying Squire classic vibes and on yeah. up into the Fender range. The, 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 the popular guitars right now are like the mid tier to upper tier fenders and some of your crazy boutique metal stuff and really like Gibson. And we talked about Ivan as last week are kind of left in lurch on this, but Gibson has been through this before. This isn't the first time this has happened to them. And what no. they did the last time is they, they tried for, for a number of years to do innovative stuff, which is what Gibson has tried to do in the last couple of years. And that didn't work. So then what did they do? They went back to basics and that's mm -hmm. what they should be doing is going back to basics and saying, look, if we can't sell get a, a bunch, you know, a million or a zillion guitars with Floyd Roses and crap on them, then we shouldn't do that, you know. Right. And and so okay, I'm okay with this. Um, a couple of things I'd like to see Gibson figure out um, is I would like to see them do one guitar that kind of is like squarely planted in the in the um, the realm of like Fender kind of players. And I'm not saying like they need to make a Strat or something like that, but actually they have a guitar in their lineup that I think if they did a comfort contour on it and they did some, and they did some interesting things to it, they could probably, they could probably make it go of it. And that's the Firebird. A lot of, a lot of Fender players like Firebirds. Yeah. So for them, like they should capitalize on it. They should make a Firebird modern, put a belly cut on it and put, put some sort of um, uh, arm contour. Cause that's the biggest, biggest gripe area with that guitar and they'll probably sell really well. So I'm looking at the so the, the um, Gibson Original Series, which is what they're kind of calling this, uh, this original collection, sorry, um, on Gibson's site. The SG Standard is now $17.99. The 61 SG Standard is $17.99. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Modern is 
Right. The difference is the pick guard and the, the neck joint construction. Right. And so um, I'm looking down at the Explorer. The Explorer is 1700 bucks. That's a, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the Firebirds, two grand. Um, I'm not sure if they're using the banjo tuners anymore or whatever, but um, the truth is that uh, this is a, you know, this is a great time for Gibson. The question that most people are going after here um, is this. Oh, by the way, you can get a, you can get a Les Paul Classic, which is the not modern version. Um, pretty much of the, uh, it, it's got all those accoutrements, the push pulls and all this other stuff. I don't know why they call it a classic, but let's just call it, let's just call it by what it is. Um, that's got all the push pulls and stuff for under $2,000. That is a huge thing that people asked for from Gibson is to get these price points down. You are under two grand. I mean, barely, you're a dollar under two grand, but you're under two grand for a Les Paul Classic. Yeah, and they did what they should have done, which is this guy crappier pickups in it, which is fine. You're going to change them out anyway. Most people do. Yeah. Um, it's got the cheaper 61R and 61T rebranded to Burst Buckers, um, which used to not be Burst Buckers. Um, and then it has... Uh, what's... I mean, it's not fancy. It doesn't have a flame top or anything. Yeah. It's just a regular plain maple top with yeah. uh, binding and, and the whole schmear. Uh, That's right. Un- and uncovered it's, pickups. It's pretty much a studio with binding, which yeah. finally, that's what it's they what did. We've least. been asking for for a long time, but even on this show. Right. I mean, the studio now doesn't have the binding. I mean, that was what was increasing the cost of the studios. The studios were creeping up of, uh, upwards of two grand. I still think the studio is too expensive for what it is. I, yeah. I, th- I think the studio line should be moved to, to uh, offshore. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that they really should move the studio online. I know, least- I know people would like poo-poo then go, Gibson's always been made in the States, but listen – Fender's done it already. Like they blurred the lines. You can't even tell what, what they're making and where it comes from now. That's right. The, the, the difference between the Mexican standards and the, uh, or the, uh, the Mexican made fenders and the others we've talked about this before is so blurred that in all honesty, um, you know, it's kind of like some of the SE models, as we've talked about before with Paul Smith, there's a, there's a blurred line now and they're really, really good. Um, the tribute being the the Les Paul tribute being um, eleven ninety nine. I think that's you know this stuff is um, uh, definitely uh, moving in the right direction. The new yeah, that's uh, the one I'm saying would be would be prime target for the studio. Like, that's correct. That should be the those guitars seem like a lot of overlap. You know, yeah. I was just gonna say in all reality, um, really the only things that go into it. I think that the difference between a tribute. And a Les Paul Studios, the studios still come with all that push-pull stuff. Yeah, and, and it's not really necessary. Nobody that that's not what a studio is all about. The whole the whole idea of the studio was that was the guitar you were supposed to be able to literally drag yeah, around. You just didn't care what it looked like because it nope. was just it was just for the sound. That's right. It was your stage guitar. Or I mean, not you're not your stage guitar. Your studio guitar. Mm-hmm. What the bell looks. I I think that the new the double cut the the new double cut uh, DCs. Uh, the uh, special tribute and the uh, junior tribute. Great idea. I do like the uh, the black uh, flying V. Yeah, and the black flying V is. Awesome. I don't. I don't need see in the modern V anywhere. The uh, that you know that monstrosity. The uh, the Starfleet logo. I can't believe that they got rid of that. I mean, yeah. You know, what is thought? Captain Picard? What is Captain Picard? Do you remember when I said that and we got hate mail for it? 
Yeah. And I was like, that's the ugliest guitar on earth. And I literally had people coming out of the woodwork to be like, what? Like, you don't like it? No, I don't. It does but not you, look like a Gibson. No. And if you notice, the Flying V B2 and the Explorer B2 are nice and simple. They're black. Yep. One finish, one thing. Right. So Which is all they need to do. And then if they really want to capitalize on this, make different colors each year. Right. Don't make them all the same year. If you want a red one, you're only going to get that in 2021. And, right. and you know what? They could publish that ahead of time. And then you don't have to discount it at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The truth is, the red ones are only go- you're going to sell the red ones, and you'll sell them to whoever wants red. And then later, somebody's going to go, you know, I wish I had a red V. Oh, you can only get that in twenty. Oh, they got them now. And it's like, oh no, wait, they got them this year. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think I think they're doing the right thing. So I just want to I want to touch on one last thing, and it was something that that I'm kind of stealing the idea from another um, podcast thing, but. You've still got to think about um, quality. Has the question comes up, is the quality there? Not until we get our hands on them, we can't say. Right, and, and they're hard to find right now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're selling pretty quick. Oh, I think this is going to be a big year for Gibson. I think mm-hmm. although the collectors are coming out of the woodwork. It's the yeah. first post-JC year, yeah. you know, and, or the Henry Jeskowitz year era. And right. I think people are going to be coming out of the woodwork to buy this era of Les Pauls and stuff. But I mean, next year, um, I think the line will continue kind of more in this Avenue. They might have one or two extra models that they add, but I look for them to continue this. I don't think, I don't think their sales are going to plummet because of this. I think this is going to help them stabilize. Now that goes to the other side of it. Will they stick to this at least for three to five years? You got gotcha. to. I think they will, but you know what? You know what else I think they're going to do, Jim? I think they're going to resurrect Kramer. There was talk of that, yeah. And the reason uh, why I, I say that is because Gibson guitar brands, for them to prosper in the market that's on right now, they need a brand like Kramer that has some sort, of, like a little bit of vintage appeal to it. Because um, I, you know, I growing up, I like, of course, I've only been playing for about twenty years, but. Um, in the early 2000s, when I started out, like I remember looking around and saying, "Wow, Kramers are really cool." You know how they could really resurrect Kramer? I am, you know. Yeah. You know how they could really resurrect re- resurrect Kramer? Get back to that hockey stick headstock. That's what I'm saying, man. Like get I want to see some bananas. Yeah, get those banana headstocks, hockey stick headstocks, whatever you want to call them. Get those things back out. Go right, at, go right after Charvel. Yeah, go right in their face. Actually, you know what, Grover Jackson, maybe maybe get him to consult. Have yeah. him come in and uh, he can do Yeah, I mean, he's out of Jackson now. He's been out of there uh, for a while. He's building Freeman guitars right now. Yeah, I think if I bought, uh, I, I'm I'm seriously looking at the Les Paul Standard Fifties P90. Uh, see, I don't. It just doesn't do anything for me. The like, not that they, they're cool. Like, I could totally see you rocking one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, I'm I'm over that that whole like vintage vibe thing. And I know Nick is going to give me so much crap at, at uh, gear fest for that. But. He's got that fifties freaking junior. Yeah. That thing is incredible. I'm that not going to, I'm not going to say like, they don't all like, I don't think they're cool. I just, they don't really like for what, for what I do, they're not really going to fit my music. So what, what are you showing me? You see oh, my, did you see that? Yeah. It just, it just, it just arrived. 
Yeah, it just it said, arrived. well, that means that it's coming pretty soon. It's like 23 minutes. Yeah, 23 so, minutes. So, um, all right. Yeah, for me, um, there's there's absolutely no question. I'm kind of, I'm excited. I've never been excited about a P90 guitar because, and now I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, Jim, because okay. now you know the single coil thing. Like, you've exposed yourself enough to it, and you've lived with it long enough that you're like, you know what? There's something to this. Yeah. So and that might be that might be my triple threat right there. One, two, let, three. Let's talk about let's talk about that for a second. So you come from a humbucker background. I do. And it's funny because we're 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 literally flipping sides. Decades right now, of humbucker. As we speak, right? Because I'm a, I'm a typically a, a single coil guy and I'm going into the humbucker territory. I'm like stepping into that thing and and I'm, I'm really liking it. But um so what have you what have you learned from using single coils first off? Because I, I got some tips I can share with you, but but more or less so I can share with the listenership. So make you my so, um you know that I'm a I'm a volume rider, right? Right. Um, so um but in the humbucker world it's really I mean it's it's hugely important. Yeah. A lot more a lot more use of it than in the single I personally I'm finding in the single coil world. But um I'm finding that maxed out I'm not crazy about this. Believe it or not, I back off on a little bit. Yep, because you don't want all the trouble. Yep, I, I actually bleed no, off the no trouble. No trouble bleed on those guitars. Nope, no, I don't want a treble bleed. No. I'm backing them off. I know people and, who remove treble bleeds on single coils because, yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which I'm surprised at um, because there are some people that want that. They want it all the way. They want to be able to turn the volume and the treble doesn't bleed. I, I'm the exact opposite. I want the other thing is people play with the, the, the tone cap to, to make their tone controlled very usable. So that's yep. something you might want to consider. Um, I've been doing that. Um, I'm also finding that I've got a little bit of range in my drive pedals uh, that I didn't have before. Um, yeah, because you're not always just bludgeoning them. Right. Um, that, that it's not a bad thing. There, I'm, I hope folks don't think that I'm saying that that's a bad thing. It's just for some of the sounds like, all right, so take, um, I, I know that people are going to go, oh, the guitar tone of that song is stupid, but uh, Bruno Mars is locked out of heaven because it has a very 70s uh, funk style guitar. You're going to get that kind of wah-wah stuff like yep. any of that 70s stuff out of, out of humbuckers, yep. which is what I, when you were saying you were doing that kind of stuff before, I'm like, how are you doing that? Because like, <laughs> I'm like, there's no way in hell. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as convincing. No, um, sure. I mean, you can get away with it like everybody does. But yeah. um, so the, the, the most important thing, at least to me, when playing with single coils is picking the right amp. Yeah. And you've also probably noticed that single coils, the bass is like really loose. Yes. It's, it's, it, it's wide and it's, it's not typically actually that hot in the signal path. Like usually it's pretty restrained, but yeah. it's wide. And, and because of that, you really need to have an amp that can handle it. I like amps that have a big bottom end, but my problem with them always is that I end up overdriving the bass, like really right. bad. And it starts right. flubbing out really early. That's so, what I was going to say. It gets farty. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the biggest challenge. I've had amps where if I play a low G, It'll it, the amp will vibrate to the point where like you'll hear static because the tubes are rattling or um, the the paper cones the speaker can't handle it or you know whatever like you just sit there and you go well 
I guess that amp's not going to work with this guitar. <laughs> like, right. there's really nothing else you could do about it. I will say I've had really good success with Fender amps, with Fender guitars, you know, with mm -hmm. Fender single coil pickups. Um, yeah. It's not so much a problem with P90s in the same way, but it is a problem with P90s because P90s are loud as hell. And so what happens is um, you get the same flubbiness going on and it's loud. So it's really easy to get like some nasty, nasty distortion. But if that's what you're going for, like then that's the way to do it. You know what I mean? Um, I don't, I personally am not into that sound. Uh, and as I go more deeper down the path of playing the music I'm playing right now, um, I'm getting less and less into those like really, I want to say kind of just abrasive sounds. And so my experience with humbuckers has been like, it's been very similar to yours with, with uh, single coils and that I've learned some, some very Thing, some things very quickly but you know like i've had humbuckers before and I, i've lived with them for a long time i actually preferred humbucking pickups for a super long time but the reason why i went back to single coils was because i was playing a, sp a specific style of music that really called for having that glassiness and that that cut that you get out of them and so i yeah. just i just abandoned ship and i said nah, no more no more humbuckers for the time being now i'm kind of like going back and realizing that th there are so many different types of humbuckers if you're not after a p90 or not p90 but paf sound you're gonna find some really cool stuff um and i'm using the kiesel lithium pickups in my my kiesel and like they're the strangest sounding humbucker i've ever heard in my life they're they got a lot of trouble and and they have a thinness to them that's very single coil like but it's not single coil at all you don't get any of the flubby bass you don't get any of the like the abrasiveness yeah uh, when you're running through drives and stuff so it's it's cool i like them um and but they're definitely not anything like what's in my sg or what's in the shengze like they're very much modern super high output you know make sure you're using the pad and your helix kind of kind of pickups um but uh yeah <laughs> I mean, now you're getting to the point where, you know, like people used to buy active pickups, you know, to get all the, the distortion. And now you're getting to the point where the, the uh, passive pickups are almost as hot, if not hotter in some cases. Right. I know bare knuckles, make, they make a single coil that's like 20K or something. 20K. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Why don't I just punish my amplifier? <laughs> oh, I know. It's, uh, it, it's incredible. Um, I, I can't. What am I? What do I want to say here? I can't even fathom wanting to put that much punch. But you know, I mean, so the whole EMG thing, it, you know, as we're talking about um, pickups that that push or don't push the amplifier as much. Um, the EMGs. I think what people forget when they get AMGs, they're looking for that that um, almost what what it was. Zach Wild, right? It was yeah. Bot and, um, He's still a big piece. EMG guy, right? And uh, the thing is that um, for for me at least, when I look at when I think about EMGs, um, I like them, but turned way down. And then you you like the low noise properties. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. Like, I I would like to see more guitars with just a preamp and passive pickups, right? So that you can kill the noise. Yeah, because if you only have like six inches of wire running to the preamp, and then the preamp kills all the noise, yeah, who cares? <laughs> you exactly. know, like 
Exactly. And you have so much more control of your tone. Well, it's going to, it will, it will load down your pickups. Like they won't react exactly the same way. It would be, you, there would be a learning curve. It's the same way that yeah. EMGs like seem to over compress everything, every yeah. pick, pick attack and all that. I, I think EMGs are, are another pickup. That's kind of like the Joe Bardens and that they tell on you like, because EMGs are extremely sensitive. Um, and it's really hard to cheat with them. Uh, whereas my Kiesel pickups, like I can cheat with those. They, 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 I can get by with things that I shouldn't be able to, um, yeah. and you know, pick rakes and things like that, where you can muddle notes together and nobody notices. Um, oh. but, um, I don't, that's another thing. Like I always frowned on humbuckers because I like fuzz faces and, uh, I found that the Kiesel actually sounds pretty cool with my sun face. So, um, and that's through the Katana, no less. Uh, I'm looking over at my my uh, my little one by twelve stack here, and I've got I got the katana on top of a Mesa boogie cab. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, man, it doesn't sound that bad when you have a good cab, right? Uh, it's not like I know people poo poo it all the time, but it's really not that bad. Like it does a passable Marshall thing. Um, did you see the Andertons video where they did the sound like Eddie Van Halen? Yeah. Uh, okay, so they did this. I'm gonna update our listeners. They did this video. And they're like, we're going to do a sound like Eddie Van Halen. If you're not familiar with the series, it's like Rabia and one of the other guys. And they do, uh, they, they pick out budget rigs that sound like other players. And they've done all kinds of people, but they've never done Van Halen until recently. So they did Van Halen. And they got, um, you think they would get like a 5150, right? But they can't because it's over budget. So what they ended up picking was a, was a Fender bass breaker. The, uh, the 30 watt bass breaker. And it, it sounded pretty much like the brown sound, but but I was laughing because they were they were saying, well, we almost picked the katana, but we didn't want to deal with all the people complaining because the katana can do that sound. It could do that sound really really well, but it doesn't really do everything great. You know what I mean? So I get it. You know, if you're after that sound, maybe the other cool <laughs> thing about the katana that I found out today, I've been looking at different modelers and. Um, I've been kind of like mulling over the idea of maybe selling my Helix and getting an Axe Vex 3. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm broke. I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, I will be honest. I have, I have $2 in my gear fund. Um, that's probably going to have to last me for a while. It's got to uh, last all the way to gear fest. <laughs> well, no gear fest. So I have money for gear fest, but that's, it's already accounted for. Um, but I'm, Oh, I forgot. I have some, I do have a topic for the end of the show. We'll get to it in a second. So, um, yeah, I was looking at, I was looking at the Axe Vex 3. I was looking at the Kemper. Um, so far, if I was going to switch, I think the Kemper economically makes the most sense because it's got a built-in amp. If, yep. you, if you don't buy the just preamp model, it's like 200 yeah. bucks more or something for the one with the amp. And it. it's like, why would you bother? Um, exactly. Why not? Yeah. Unless you already have like a matrix or something power amp, like it just buy the, buy the power amp one. Yeah. Anyway, um, and I was looking at the Boss GT1000 as well. So the GT1000 has settings in it for output, and it has different output modes, and it has output modes for the Katana. And I'm not being just one of the Katanas, the whole line. Katana input, Katana 100-watt input, Katana head input, Katana head, a head return. Like So you can, you can pick which one you want to use, and it's supposed to to shape the output so it's more neutral for using the the katana head. I think that's kind of cool. 
Like I wish more manufacturers would do things like that um, when they bring out these modeling devices. Like Line 6 should have, they used to have output modes, but they should have an output mode like neutral or output mode, you know, for like the, the boss speaker, the Bose speakers or their, their, um, their own PA speakers, you know, or whatever, like to, to boost, um, boost, you know, adoption. Uh, yeah. it's fairly trivial to look at a speaker curve and, and, you know, test the, test a, a PA speaker and then just say, okay, so here's our PA speaker unit, you know? Um, so I think it'd be kind of cool for the next four. I had a piece of news this week. So I've been doing the podcast in uh, Cubase and it's been hit or miss. I've had a couple issues. I had one last week where we posted an incomplete episode because it only, it only um, exported the region that was selected, which was weird. Um, It's a, it's a problem I've dealt with in, in logic too, but logic handles it differently. And so it's not as big an issue there. Um, But what I noticed was, uh, you know, my, my trial was, was getting closer to expiration. Well, they had their 30th anniversary sale. And I don't know if it's still going on or not, but you can get Cubase for an insanely low price. I think you can get artists for 55 bucks or something. Like, it's just nuts. So I bought Cubase Pro um, and I got the cross-grade license because I had Logic. So I was able to prove that I had Logic. And I got the cross grade for hundred and sixty six dollars. Yep, hundred sixty six bucks for a five hundred and seventy dollar piece of software, or whatever it is. I got it for hundred sixty six bucks. Wow. wow! This is where it gets fun, right? So I order it from Sweetwater. My Sweetwater rep is Brant yeah. Miller. Um, if anybody has a Sweetwater rep, you know he, you know he's great. Um, he sent me a message in the morning. He says he says there's a problem with your order. He's like, I'll contact you later today. We'll deal with it. I'm like, okay, whatever. I figure, you know, it's probably verification because I bought a cross grade. You know, they want to make sure that I'm eligible for the cross grade. So lo and behold, I wait a couple hours and then I sent him an email and I said, yeah, just so you know, here's my proof of purchase because I figure it's probably for the cross grade. Well, he comes back and he says, yeah, he's like, and that works. So here's your license key. I put in my license key on the website where, where, where Sweetwater tells me to, no less. And it says, this license key is invalid. Actually, what it says is Kein AC, because they're German. And I'm going, what the hell is that supposed to mean? So I go to Google Translate, and it basically means like bad code or something like that. Right. I'm like, what? All right, so I, I, I send an email back to, to Brant, and Brant misunderstands and thinks that I need instructions. And I said, no, no, I, you know, I know what I'm doing. I sent him a screenshot of the error message. Then right. I go into so this is where it gets fun, right? So if you guys know Steinberg, they have a copy protection screen it's scheme that requires well, a dongle. Such a pain in the ass. Yeah. They have a dongle, right? Their dongle costs money. Yep. It's thirty dollars. And you have to have it for Cubase Pro. What version of Oh, for Cubase Pro, so you gotta get a, you gotta get a dongle too. Yes, in addition. Because I was so, gonna say I have Cubase. Mm-hmm. I have Cubase nine. I wonder if I can cross. Is it is I'll it like a- AI or whatever? Or is it like the the cheap edition? Because I don't think the cheap edition is the same. Yeah, I don't know. When you get into the really expensive ones like Pro, like it costs you 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 have to pony up for the for the license key. It's required. But anyway, I didn't know that when I bought it, which is fine. Like. I, I'm, I'm frustrated because I think their copy protection is completely archaic. But we'll get to that. That's, that's coming up. 
so then I get on the I get on the horn with with Cubase directly, right? So yep. their chat line on their website takes you to Yamaha because they're owned by Yamaha. If you yeah, didn't know yeah. that, and um, so the guy says your license code. He has to for license code. Show it to him. He says your license code is valid. He says our license servers are down because of the sale, right? Oh, There's okay. so many people trying to activate that they crash the licensing server. So he tells me it's going to be 20, 20. He gives me a very exact number. He says it will be 25 hours and then it will be up. That was on Friday. They're not up today. Okay. So I'm assuming he meant 25 hours business days. Yeah. So probably sometime Monday they'll be up. But here's what pissed me off. So he gave me a temporary code so I could activate my software, which works fine, by the way. Um, yeah because I don't have to enter it into my account. I just put it on my license key, but it's only got a 25 hour expiration or 24 hour expiration. So it's like, well, you mean I'm going to have to on Monday to mix this episode, I'm going to have to send them a request for another damn license key because wow. they haven't gotten the licensing server fixed. Are you effing kidding me? Like for real? And this is because their copy protection sucks. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not for any good reason. It's because they're like in the stone age. So let me, let me break it down for you. Reaper, right? Reaper is not pretty to look at, but you can go buy Reaper for $69 and get every feature that's in that piece of software. Yep. I can go Mac. I can buy logic for 200 bucks and get every piece plus updates for that software. I can go and buy waveform from uh, Waveform Traction, which I was using for a while. Yep. You buy that for like 200, I think you can get that license for a hundred bucks. Now, if you want to get plugins and stuff to go with it so you can make it work better, it's like 200 bucks, right? It's, yep. not, it's not terribly expensive. If you look at, um, let's see what Studio One costs. Studio One is from Presonus. It's their, uh, their dedicated um, yep. suite. And if I was to buy Studio One, I'm on their website right now, looking for the buy now button. Here we go, buy now. How much is the license to Studio One? Okay, so Studio One Professional is $400. Studio One Artist, which is probably what most people would need, is 99 bucks. Yep. Studio One Prime is free. So put in perspective, Cubase is charging, let me get the actual number. So Cubase Pro. Cubase Pro for, for without an update is yeah. 200, well, 276, 290 if you get the box. No, but that's with that's with the sale. Right. It is normally $552. Yeah. What are you getting in Cubase Pro 10 that you're not getting in these other softwares? Not shit. Well, I imagine that's why they dropped the price. No, they dropped the price for the 30th anniversary sale. It's gonna go right back up to $552. Oh, it's because, 580 for the other. Yeah, because Cubase thinks they are somehow special, right? They, they, they honestly think their software's great. And I've, I, I know people who use this software regularly, and it's not great. It's okay. It works. But I'm only getting it because I'm familiar with it. Like, I've used it before. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like you're getting your money's worth. But on top of that, you pay 500 Let's say you buy it at full retail, right? You buy in the first time. dollars $500. $30 for the stupid Steinberg key. And then they tell you, oh, you can't even activate your software because our licensing server's down. So we're going to give you a temporary key. Like, what? what is going on over there? 
Now, I didn't pay that much money, but that doesn't that doesn't exempt them from the fact that like I've got a product I can't even use. Yeah, um, I, I'm looking at it. So even with the boxed version, I figured that the box would come with the key in it. No, you have to pay no. extra for that. No, you got to buy the key. And there's a reason for that. So the key actually can be used for other products. So uh, if you want like Vienna strings and stuff like there's some different libraries and things that use that key. But here's here's my problem with the key. No other company I know of right now using those is using the key anymore. The, no, the, 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 those, the, are, uh, those, are, those are late 90s, early 2000s technology. The whole, the whole reason for the key is so that you can move your license from computer to computer. That was, cool. that was the idea behind it. Mm -hmm. I have Adobe, right? We all know how bad Adobe is with copy protection. Like oh, you God. authorize one computer and then if you go to install on another machine and you go to log in, it comes up with a message that says this is authorized on another computer. That computer will be deauthorized. Like it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember when they were still doing box software and I had to call in and tell them, hey, that other computer took a dump. Like I have to reinstall. Right. You know, um, look, that's a much better scenario than this. To be able to have to call in and have a computer deactivated is better than this. Yeah, I, I mean, get rid of the dongle. I don't need to use a USB port on my computer that's valuable yeah, for exactly. what I do. So that I can use exactly the software? That's exactly why they got rid of the fucking 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 things. Is that I did not use the F word, by the way. There was no, a he almost did. He almost did, though. Um, but uh, they, that's why they got rid of the damn things. They, they were like, all right, you know what? We're going to have this in there. And, um, you know, so uh, I used to work for, uh, I used to do IT for small doctor's offices, right? I'd oh, yeah. Doctors. They used to have dongles. Yep. I know. Those damn dongles, right? Yep. For their software, for their medical licensing. Yep. Um, I remember because everything went USB, everything, and you'd get a computer that would only have two to four. Oh USB yeah, ports. and then they would they wouldn't have enough power to run the device you plug into them because yeah. they weren't running at four point five volts or five volts or whatever right. it's supposed to be. They were running at like one. You're going none of the stuff that you plug into these peripheral ports is is going to run on one volt. And what's funny is, so you've, um, if you've ever worked in anybody who's done IT for medical stuff is, is familiar with the words F, F, um, sorry, McKesson or Epic. And, uh, those are the, those are the back end, um, you know, the, yep. the enterprise, um, stuff for, uh, for those folks. And anyway, just like anything else, they sell add-ons and they sell, they sell license keys. They sell, you know, you can, you can buy them by the 10, you can buy them by the hundreds, depending on the size of your hospital and, and um, or your, your practices. <clears throat> anyway, you look at this stuff and it's like, um, you'd be surprised at what's still out there that's using keys. And oh, it's yeah. because they're just like Steinberg, they're in, they're in countries. I, I remember um, uh, there was a country where we were like, uh, they they want a fax. I said, "Who the hell uses fax anymore? We have a fax machine. We had to go to Staples to fax stuff to a company in Korea because they didn't have uh, uh, they didn't take anything yeah. about fax. They wouldn't take an emailed um, picture of the thing. In some they countries, they require it because the signature has to be in handwriting. Like it can't be a digital signature. A fax can be faked as much as anything can be. Faked. Well, I know that's my point, but it's, it just makes it that much more ridiculous. But like, so we get back to this same USB thing. ports. Anyone we all know, anyone who has USB ports, I don't care if you got six or eight on your computer now. There are towers with like ten of them on there. That those things are gold. 
we, yeah. you know, we're plugging in. I don't know about you. I have an, I have an ID thing. I have my camera plugged in. I have my focus right plugged in. I have my, um, yeah, man. I don't even know what the other one is. Yeah. And I'm going to have to literally buy a hub just for this, just for that. Which means you have to buy that device, which is like thirty dollars, like you said. Then you're going to have to spend because it's got to be a powered hub. Can't be a hub that yeah. can't. And it's going to so make my and, and it's going to ultimately make my computer uh, uh, my computer desk an even bigger mess. Like, thanks, Cubase. Thank you. Thank you very no, much. I, I'm I'm going to look at somebody else. I was. I li these e licenses are done. I'm going to take them and I'm going to I'm going to get as many of my can off eBay. I'm going to or I'm going to put a, a thing out and be like, send me your e licenses for destruction. And I'm going to film myself like smashing them with a sledgehammer. Like, <laughs> it's dumb. Like the, the whole thought of this is dumb. Why can't they do two factor? Register your phone number with them, and right. if they want to verify that the software is installed on the machine, send you a text message. You put your code in. Like, what's like the, the problem here? Like the bank does. Like, like anybody like does. Card does. Like everybody does. Oh, Google even does it to me. Hey, yeah. you're logged into another computer. Is that really you? They send me an email. They send me a text. And this isn't about. So this really isn't about software piracy anymore. And and I and I firmly believe this. This isn't about D, this isn't about DRM. They could do this very very easily using any of the other methodologies you described. This is about them pretending that you're paying thirty bucks for the convenience of being able to move your license from computer to computer as needed. That's what this is. This is an extra fee for you on top of the software you've already purchased. Like that that's why they don't put it in the box, Jim. It's not because it wouldn't be convenient. They're not gonna put it in the box because they want that extra thirty bucks. So you see the software price at being what it is right now. So if you buy the hundred and sixty dollar upgrade, it's not hundred and sixty bucks. It's hundred and ninety dollars. Yeah. So so what do you recommend? I, I'm looking for a new software for, for stuff because I'm tired of the of the um you know, I've been using Ableton, but I can only go two channels at a time. And I always bounce. Version of Cubase. You'll be happy. It's, I mean, it's good. Wait a minute. I don't want Cubase. I don't want to go through that shit again. <laughs> you mean the dongle? Yeah. Honestly, or, honestly. Or is it only for the pro that needs the dongle? I think, I, I don't know what the cheapest version is called. I, I mean, artist is like, only, artist from Sonus is only um, 50 bucks. And then I can boost it. I mean, I would probably look at PreSonus too. Um, it really depends. So, like PreSonus, if you're going to use PreSonus, my whole thing is like I would use PreSonus if I had a PreSonus interface. Like, I don't think I would really try to push it and try to run because I have a I have a Steinberg interface right now. It's old and it's crap, and I'm going to be replacing it hopefully at Gearfest. Um, I'm I'm already looking at alternatives. Uh, thank you, Robert Jackson, for uh, having a long conversation with me about different uh, interfaces. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I would probably look to find the one that's like most compatible with your hardware, not for the compatibility side, but just like how it was designed. Cause you'll find that like the feature sets really lock tightly together. If you, if you have like a pre-sonus interface and then use studio one, I don't know what focus, right? Like who they're, they're backing as far as their, probably I wasn't, I, I don't with, think with my, I think they just put a bunch of free crap in the box. Yeah. Um, I don't, so like, here's the thing. I tried Ableton, right? I got an Ableton trial. I installed it. I played around with it. 
I don't care about Ableton. Not crazy. No, I not crazy don't like it at all because it's not laid out the way that any other DAW is laid out. No, it's ridiculous. And, the interfaces are. Oh, it's it, it's laid out for musicians, Jim. Didn't you know? Really? I have to be an engineer to use it. I, I know. That's what I was gonna say. I, I felt it's like incredibly I powerful. I'm not. I, I'm not disputing that. I, mean, I couldn't figure out how to record with it, and I've been using software since the '90s. <laughs> yeah. So Cubase, Cubase used to be a big pain in the butt. Like it, every everything had to be templatized. Back when it was like Cubase, I think it was probably probably five or Cubase. Yeah, it was probably five or six, right? I had like Cubase five, and you had to every time I opened up a track, I I create a blank file, and then I have to go in and I have to route all my inputs and outputs. Then I'd have to go in and, and make sure that all my VSTs were in place. Then I would have to, you know, it was like it just became this. Dude, I spent twenty minutes setting up a session before I ever hit record. It was ridiculous. That's why yeah. I didn't make any music when I was using Cubase 5. But they figured that out. So now Cubase is like really easy and it's fairly stable. And I'm getting low latencies. I, if I had a better audio interface, I'd be happier. Um, my audio interface, here's the problem for folks listening at home. Not all audio interfaces are created equal. Yeah. Right? So you can go online and you can look. The popular one right now is UAD. Um, the studio, the, their, their Apollo twins are really popular. They're okay. I'm not. I'm not poo pooing them. Look, they got great preamps. The Unison preamp sounds really good. Um, the problem I have with them is that they're extremely expensive for what you get. And this whole mythology that oh, you need to have that that special ability to run the plugins in the box. That's DRM protection, folks. There's nothing more than that. Because at this point, your PC is so much more powerful than yeah. it was ten years ago. You don't oh, yeah. have to worry about offloading your plugins to your to your box under your desk. It's just ridiculous. Now they do have one advantage in that department. So if you're doing preamp plugins, like the Neve consoles, they can right. control the input output levels really, yeah. really well. And so there's some, some tighter integration there, which makes right. us, which makes us more palatable, but still, is it worth like 600 bucks? That's the, that's the thing. So I'm looking at QB's Cubase elements, right? That's the new version. Yeah, that's of the GB, right. Um, it's only $50 right now. Yeah. I bought it today. I mean, it's it. I would say, I don't know. I we, we can talk about it offline. It's a that's a big big conversation discussion. But so, we're talking with the, uh, the interface thing, I've been watching these shootouts, right? And this is what we're going to be the practical guitarist for a minute for tonight, like really practical here. So, you got an Apollo twin, and you're shooting it out with a Focusrite two i two. All right. $299 interface. Yep. $800 interface. Which yeah, do you exactly. think is going to sound better? Which do you really think is going to sound better? Now, depending on who's recording it and how well they know how to use it, that's, that's one thing unto itself. But if you get somebody who's actually an, an, audio, an, uh, an audio engineer who actually does recording for people and they do one of these demonstrations, you yep. can hear the difference in quality between those two interfaces. Oh, for now, sure. Now, this is what's funny. So pre-sonus, pre I can't find any videos that like really compare those really well with the, the um, Focusrite stuff. Focusrite makes a lot of interfaces. They sell a lot of them. They're okay. They're not, they're not terrible. They're the McDonald's of interfaces right now. However, yeah. if you look closely, you can find companies like Audient. And Audient makes a pair of really inexpensive interfaces, like one or two channels. Yep. Sound phenomenal. For the, right. for the inputs. If you're looking for like the old vintage console style input, 
that's what you want. Don't look at the pre at the uh, uh, the uh, focus right stuff. Just go get yourself an audience for like three hundred bucks and just be done with it. You'll be right. happy. I'm I'm shopping. I don't know what I'm buying yet. I but I am not buying a Cubase interface. I can tell you that right now. This one I've got under my desk. Here's the problem with it. It clips with everything. It has a high Z input on it, and if you turn high Z on, you're supposed to be able to plug a guitar into it, have the trim all the way down to the minimum, and play away, and no clipping. And you're supposed to be able to you know send it directly to your amp plugins. It's supposed to sound just like your guitar is plugged straight into an amp. Right. It sounds nothing like that because it clips. <laughs> Every guitar I own, doesn't matter the pickup output level, it clips bad. Yep. I cannot plug the direct out of an amplifier into it because it clips. I cannot plug my Helix into it well unless I turn the volume super, super low and set it to line level so I can avoid that high Z switch. That was a big oversight on Steinberg's part. And this, and this interface, because that is a mistake. Um, I am not a fan. Uh, I've had this thing for five years now. It's, it served me well, but I've always been tracking my guitars through something else because it clips. And so I'm fighting it now really bad. I'm doing a project and not happy. So there will be a new interface under my desk eventually. Like, yeah, the truth is, I mean, happen. <laughs> let's raise it. Focusrite does make the higher end stuff too. Yeah. They, no, the clarets are, are on par with what you're going to get. And, um, if you buy like the Claret 2i2 thing, they have a 2-in, two 2-out. Two I think it's 2-in, yep. 6-out or whatever. The Claret um, is on par with what you're going to get out of the, out of the um, uh, UAD. Uh, right. And that, one's, uh, that one is $439. So really it's what not you're terribly doing, expensive. The you're doubling your price. You need the DSP to run plugins directly on the, the Focusrite. So that's what I'm saying. Like UAD is fine, but just understand you're paying like 500 bucks so that you can engage in their DRM. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'd rather take that money and go get a slate, uh, a slate plugin uh, subscription for a year. Yep. Oh yeah. I, I, my, my thing is I'm going to, I will probably upgrade to a Claret and then um, I would move to, uh, you know, I'll just buy, plugins for whatever. If I, yeah, if I was doing a if I was doing a full on like studio thing and I was selling my studio time out to people, which I'd like to do, but I'm I live in a condo. It's, it's not going to work here. Um, right. I would definitely probably be getting I would I would drop a G and get yeah. one of the I wouldn't get the the Apollo. I'd go I'd go for the bigger one. I'd go for an 8 in and out or 8 in 8 out or or something bigger if I could. Does the Apollo make an 8 in 8 out? I thought they it have did. bigger they have bigger ones than that. They're very they, expensive. They have some yeah and I'll, if you're if you're selling your services to people, yeah, you better have the gear, and that's the stuff you want right now because you can get those sounds like the Neve consoles and all that stuff for you know a reasonable approximation of it for not a lot of money. No, I mean if you want to buy a Neve console, you could spend you know a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars. I mean, which how much like do you want to spend? <laughs> It sounds like a lot, a lot of money. Well, hundred thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money until you realize what you, you know. Yeah, I mean, like um, Rupert Neve, it's your return on money. Built those things specifically for the studios they were going in. It wasn't right. like it wasn't like you you could have gone to your mom and pop in the '60s and been like, "Yeah, I really I need a Neve, I need a Neve uh, preamp module." They'd look yep. at you like, "What are you even talking about? <laughs> like, I don't even yeah. know what that is." <laughs> so. So yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you can probably drop maybe two, three grand 
on a decent uh, the Apollo oh. systems. Uh, the upper yeah, end. yeah, no, you can go higher than that if you want. It just depends on what you want. No, I'm just talking about if you were starting out and you were trying to get. You yeah, know, I mean, if I was, if I was like, because I got a bunch of microphones, right? I've got the standard stuff. I don't have, I don't have the really expensive ones that you would really need to run a, a pro quality studio. Like, I need to get a decent ribbon. That's yeah, be a thousand. Yeah, bucks. Same, yeah, so yeah. you just got to kind of like control your spend. Um, yeah. If I was going to be selling my services out, I would be aiming for a three thousand dollar. Here's, you know, 3000 bucks. This is what I'm going to buy. It's going to be, it's going to include a couple of nice microphones, um, some acoustic treatment stuff. Cause that's more important than anything else. Probably some yeah. good monitors and about 1200 bucks left over for the interface. Right. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting though, because for guitar players, like we didn't have to worry about this stuff 20 years ago. No. Nobody was tracking guitars in their house. Like that was all you just went to the studio and did it. And I probably 30 years ago at this time. I can remember even a little less than 20 years ago. I can remember we went to a studio um, and it was a guy's barn. It was a, it was a redone barn upstate New York. So yeah, yeah. that's common. Yeah, it was, it was pretty common. And um, he had a, you know, he had a separate area. He had two vocal booths or three vocal booths. And he had a isolation booths for your guitar amps and your, bass amps and your drummer had a you know everything was set up he had all the baffles really nice in that since he did it in a barn he used the hayloft as his engineering area so he was looking down on everybody and he could instead of looking out at you and kind of being an eye level he was looking down at you from above and it was kind of cool because he could see everybody every booth every, yeah. everything right and um anyway really well done really everything and it was expensive we wanted to do a three-song demo uh, because we had a um, we had a tour coming up, and I want to say it cost us to do a three-song demo. It was about how how many hours, by the way? Two days, day, day, like eight hours. Not even a yeah, not even a full day. Okay, maybe six hours. You're talking three songs. We 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 rehearsed this out of those songs. Yeah, and uh, about a thousand we, bucks. Yep, it was about fifteen hundred dollars. And the funny thing is, um, so you're not really paying for the equipment when you pay for studio time. Like people think you're paying for the equipment. You can go down to Sweetwater right now and you can rent the studio for a day for a thousand bucks. Yep. The, the, um, depending on what time of year and all that stuff, cause the prices fluctuate, yeah. but hearing $1,500 means you had a, you had a decent guy running the board. Like you had an engineer who knew his stuff. And oh yeah, this was this was a guy that had yeah he had Grammy and he had you know I mean this was no slacker but right. really fifteen hundred does not sound like a high bill to me like that not. sounds like yeah it's about about what I expect yeah. um but for somebody who's never done it before like when you get that bill from the guy and you're like oh what happened yeah. you know yeah. um that's what it costs I mean yeah. if you want to track a if you want to track a twelve song CD like and you let's first off as Stephen Miller has told us, if you, I mean, you have your parts together, number one, yeah, every yeah. shit in order and you go in and you're going to do it in like two or three days. Right. Look at it. Three grand plus, you know, people, people complain, you know, about this stuff, but they go in and I mean, it depends on whether you're looking for a studio engineer, which is what we wanted. We just, we were putting together a CD. All yeah, you were really looking for production because you already knew kind of what was going to be on there. Right. All this was was three covers, 
actually two covers of an original. That, and an original we had been playing for years, and it already was on another CD. So yeah. um, uh, anyway, so this was this was pre-done, pre-written, pre-everything music. We were going in, we were just laying down the tracks. And, and of course, he has to charge the day because even though you walk out two hours, he's got work to do. A lot yeah, of he's, he's mixing at night when you're not there. And like, that's right. And we weren't even selling this. This was just so we could put it up on our website. Remember websites? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put it up on our website. Um, and I, I, the MySpace page or something. Um, and to have it there so that people could go, oh, yeah, that, that's the tour. And there's what it sounds like. And then it was like, little stills and movement of us and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing really that was a video. Right, um, right. So anyway, the, the whole thing probably wound up costing us almost $3,000, put the website together and everything else. And half of that went into studio time. But what people forget is when you walk away that even if you just have things engineers, they're still mix. They're still master. I mean, master is as much anymore as much work anymore. Yeah. It, you never want the same guy who mixed your stuff to master it either. Right. Exactly. And, and you, I mean, there are mastering services. You can send it away and get a song mastered for a hundred bucks. Yeah. It's not, it, the, the cost of that's not insane anymore. There no. was a time when that was very expensive because it was really super high end equipment, but now that everything's done in the box, like it's, it's just plugins. Like yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah. And mastering wasn't what it was. You aren't making a master acetate and a master of this. And the, well, know. so that, so that whole thing, when you're talking about making like a, like the gold master and all that stuff, like that they used to press records, typically that's actually not involved in the mastering process. That's post mastering. So they give you tape. They send it off to make, to make the, the pressing. Right. Like that's not, that was never really handled by the engineer that mastered it. That was old. Yeah, but did the master put together the tape that was, or at least all, the tapes that all the mastering engineer does is take the material and make sure that the loudness levels and the proper sheen and everything sounds cohesive. Yeah. And then he puts it to two inch tape or whatever he's going to put it to the medium. Right. And then he sends it off to the other people that do all the pressing and all, you know, create the, the, um, the initial master vinyl that they're going to press for vinyl or the, the uh, inverted CD that they use to press CDs. Right. But don't they make, I don't know. It, it, uh, for some reason I thought there was a, there was, there's a master master goes put gets put away. You don't. Yes, but that's not made by an individual. That's made by a company that actually produces those from the tapes or even going back to the sixties. Nobody, everybody's been recording on magnetic tape. Probably everybody you've ever listened to has been recorded on magnetic tape. Right. Um, and so the, the process is it gets recorded on, you know, however many tracks and then they dump mm -hmm. that down to a two track master that gets sent off. That's not a master, but they get they dump it down to a two-track mix that then gets sent off to the mastering engineer, who then sits down and he says, Okay, I'm gonna, you know, add some compression. I'm gonna add a little bit of room reverb to to make the whole mix sound cohesive, and a little bit of compression on top of that, and I'm gonna limit it. And it, you know, generally that's what they're doing. They're playing with volume levels. And right, then, because they don't want the you don't want the album to come out and it's like this yeah. song is really loud, this one is really low, and this one is kind yeah. of loud, and this one is yeah. Yeah, and so that and they also do volume automation as part of that process too. But once they're done, they do the same thing. They pop out another two tracks of whatever on whatever media, and then that gets sent off to the people that do all the production work. And they'll make your first master, and what they do is they actually send it back to you and you listen to it and you okay it. That's <laughs> what you're thinking about. And that's done by that, that's actually done by the um uh, the production house usually. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. 
the only time I was involved with that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I've never done it myself, but I but I know from enough people that I've talked to in, a, in like enough articles and interviews that that's that's how it works. Yeah. Um, it's it's a crazy thing that doesn't really happen much anymore. I mean, now yeah. you send it off to master, and then the guy says, "All right, here's your master." He sends you the files back, and you're posting them on iTunes in 20 minutes. I yeah. mean, it's, it's that simple. That's um, insane. The, the, actually, the mastering process now is not even the same thing. So, like, it used to be to prepare it for the medium it was going to go on, right? So, like, you right. master for vinyl. Now you're mastering for iTunes, which basically just means you're trying to get the highest level of audio quality to pass off to iTunes. To a WAV file, yeah. Um, which That's becomes just nuts. Was that an MP4? Um, no, I think you actually. I think you provide them waves if you do an, a mastered, mastered for iTunes, and then yeah. they actually convert it. Oh, they do the conversion. Okay, I knew somebody yeah. did the conversion. But they have they have guidelines, which is really cool because they, uh, they didn't. There there were no guidelines in the beginning for any of this stuff, so people were just CD right. masters. And now iTunes is like, well, no, we want to actually encourage dynamic range. We want to get away from this idea of squashed audio. We don't have to do it. Yeah. So yeah. they're pushing for like a higher dynamic range and that kind of stuff. So. That's the same with. Uh, um, Spotify and those guys. Yep, um, yep. They have the master bar Spotify now too, um, yep. and they have mastering details. So, like, if you have a, if you pay for one of the streaming services that that like posts your music to these other services, they should be able to like make some sort of edits for your music to go better on those other services. Like DistroKid. Yeah, I don't think DistroKid does it, um, but DistroKid's dirt cheap, so. Um, hopefully your mix sounds good. I know mine does. Like I've listened to my songs on yeah. iTunes and they sound pretty good. So um, I just don't feel like uh, they're, you know, they're not doing the mastering work for you. So like you go to a master engineer, you say, this is going to go to iTunes and Spotify. And then like, you might have to pay two charges, but you're going to get maybe a 1% different mix. That's going to be optimized for those two formats. So it may not even be that important to you to do that. And now the funny thing is the mastering guys used to be that they wanted two tracks, right? They wanted left and right stereo. Now they're asking for the whole like project files as stems, wow. mixed out stems. And I'm going, why you shouldn't have any control over the mixer at no, all. No way. Yeah. That's, that's the way of the world now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's probably how stems are getting out there where they typically wouldn't have been. I think that's exactly what's happening is that when, let's say Britney Spears has a new song coming out and she sends her stems over to the mastering engineer who works for Columbia or wherever she's at. Yeah. And the guy goes through it and he does it and then he quietly pockets the, the uh, he may not actually make any adjustments to the mix, but he quietly pockets the stems. The stems. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, it, and those things are like gold. Yeah, yeah, they are. To a, to a they really shouldn't be out in the public. No, I mean, in all, in all honesty, like that has that has ruined some people's careers. Probably hers too, included. I mean, look at look at the uh, the leaked uh, the leaked outtake tracks from from what the uh, the one song that that she did, where like she's horribly out of key and clearly doesn't have any talent. Like that, that's, that's what that video said to, or like that video when it came onto YouTube said to me, it's like, look what we said is true all along. It's all pitch correction. Yep. So anyway. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's too bad too. Um, when you look at some of the other stuff that's going on too. So people are taking, um, so more musicians are taking 
recordings directly off the board during live performances. And the reason they do this is because um, there's more and more hired guns, right? There's more solo artists, solo artists require hired guns. So you, you do these things and they're, they're kind of, they're not stems, but they're kind of like that. They're tracks of their own because now I got to hire guitar hero B because guitar hero A got sick or went on. So I got to bring this guy. I'm going to show now. him my li the live recording so that he can cop it. That's right. So I'm going to send him the, the, the guitar mix uh, in, you know, am I the only one that we're having this discussion and I think about that and I'm like, that makes me want to puke. Like in all honesty, the reason you hire a musician is because you want them to put their sonic stamp on something. I am so tired of this egocentric crap where somebody says, hey, I'm going to make a metal record and I want everybody on this record to play exactly as I specify. That's right. And that's there. If you can't do it, get out. Like yeah. that's not really the way that music's supposed to work. It's supposed to be give and take, push and pull, like communication and all that stuff. And, and if I think like when I, I used to seek out um, like weird recordings. I would seek out things like uh, Phil Collins playing with Black Sabbath, right? I don't want him to sound like um, what's the guy's name? Uh, um, his name is Hetfield. <laughs> James Hetfield? No, no, don't oh, let's not play these Hetfield. games. We're not that other podcast. Let's not do this. <laughs> uh, where we just throw out random names, but but you know what I'm saying? Like you don't. You don't expect Phil Collins to sound like the drummer from Black Sabbath. You don't. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. Listening no. to it for that reason. You know what I mean? Geezer Butler. Could you? No, not Geezer. He's the bass player. The bass player. That's what gets me though. Like this John Mayer thing playing with the Grateful Dead. Yep. I don't want to see him playing like Jerry Garcia. No, I know you don't. Uh, no, no, no. But I, I would rather see him play like John Mayer. Exactly. Exactly. The problem is that there are tons and tons and tons of people out there that want to go see John Mayer play Jerry Garcia songs. What in the hell? <laughs> exactly. And, and at, what's the point at that point? Just but I used to say, you know, people would say, oh, I want to sound. Well, I played with this one guitar player. I don't know if I ever told this story, but it doesn't matter. Um, there, there was this one guitar player in a cover band I was in. Everything had to be exact. And I, when I say volume uh, oh, met one of them. Every, every, and this is long before the Helix came out. I mean, we're talking, we're talking the old, you know, um, late '90s, early 2000s, when when you were still, you could buy a Zoom. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a couple of pedals out there. Um, so he had a pedal board. I swear to God, it was as big as this table. Oh board. yeah, yeah, and and it's like the edge, right? Like he only they used the song of this one. Back here. Yeah. He's got yeah. he's got stuff on his pedal board that's not even in your set list. But if we have to play this song, I have it. <laughs> that's and that's exactly right. He had four count them four wapens. Why? Because he had a crybaby um, this one that had this cue, and he had a um, you know a, this one that was from when uh, Clapton played because Clapton didn't use the same one as Hendrix. And then he had one that Stevie Ray Vaughan used when he did. Uh, Why? You know, like no one that can tell. Not even you. Not they, they, we're getting to the point when you have that much crap that that not even you can tell the difference. You think you can, but it's all in your head, right? And, and oh, so met that guy. He literally had like 27, 28 pedals on his board, and this is way before mini pedals. Right? These things were huge. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all all mixed out 
put together to this to this you old switch and you're like you're like setting up and you're looking and you're like where are you gonna put that <laughs> yeah and and of course he had one of these girlfriends i can't hear my boyfriend you need to turn him up yeah we've him up. i think we've talked about this dude before in the show <laughs> and uh so the guy he was always he was always the loudest guy in the band there were a lot of times i just quit playing I just turned my volume yeah, like, off. Like, just let him go for it. But he was so perfect. He didn't care. You know, it was like, I'm so perfect. I don't care about you guys. This, this you don't even show. Know. That's right. It was the him show. And, um, and we've all worked with people that are like that at some point in our lives where it's like, I have to take center stage. I can't understand why this music works without me. Like the David right. Lee Roth syndrome, right? Where yeah. um, this doesn't work without me. And to an extent, you might be right, but chances are it does work without you. Like, yeah, you well, let's just do it. Stand. They can replace you. You're, you're, no one is irreplaceable. When I first joined the band, we had they had two guitar players. I was the front man. So they, they had two guitar players. Here's what's funny. The other guitar player. So here's that guy. He's got, he, oh, that's the other thing. He didn't just have a stereo rig. He had stereo wet dry. So we had a wet stereo. <laughs> Three amps. <laughs> Oh, he had four. He had a pair in the middle. Two and then, dry and two wet, right? Two. Oh, my God. So, yeah, he wasn't just wet, dry, wet. He was wet, dry, wet, dry. What? Why? He had, he had two of those. Um, I don't remember. Tone Bone or somebody made this switching. Yeah, the, the, the amp switching. Yeah, yeah. They made the one of the first amp switchers that you could commercially get without having A, B, C, D. He had this. He could go A, A, B, C, C, D. Yeah. Then he, he could use two amps at a time, so he could go stare. But he, it was it was ridiculous. Anyway, so how much? How long was the setup time? Oh, he would he would have to get there. He would go to the club. Like we'd we'd have an eight. Let's say we'd have an eight or nine p.m. start. Right uh, back then, I think they were usually 10, 11 o'clock. It was ridiculous. You went until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It was so stupid. You got home at at, at about the time you're supposed to get yeah, up. Yeah, and then you basically get up and go to church the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I didn't get it. I didn't get to church. Um, so <laughs> the the um, he would go in the afternoon, right after work, and his rig would be set up. So we'd get there, and his amps were already in the back. Already set up. Let me guess. Full stacks. Full stacks. Two monitors. So he had he had um, uh, four full stacks. He was the guy. That, he was that guy. He had a U-Haul truck to get his gear to the gig. He had a Marshall J JMP. He had a Marshall um, uh, JCM. Let me he ask you this: Fender Reaper with an extra um, cabinet. Is, is he this guy though? Is it is he the guy that like he shows up at the gig with literally everything he owns? Yep. And doesn't yep. like have anything at home? Like Oh, I don't know. I I can't imagine he had anything at home. If well, he has because I because I know people like that too. It's like, well, I own it, so I'm taking it. And you're yeah. like, why? You're not even gonna use it. Yeah. Uh, well, he would use, believe me, he used them all. I, my ears were always ringing at the end of the night. The the other guy who would stand on the other side of the stage next to the bass player. Had a Fender's Blues Junior. Yeah. And it mic'd yeah. up and it sounded fine. And it was mic'd up and it sounded just fine. He had a Blues Junior and he had a, he had a single multi-effects pedal. I would be, I would, so if this were my situation, I would be like, I would try be try uh, be trying to be the complete paradox of what the other guy was doing. I would go down to a fly rig, <laughs> like like the, the Tech 21 fly rig, nothing yeah. else. Fly rig, cable, 
PA system. I have thought That's about it. that. I have <laughs> thought about that. Just to do it, just to tick this guy <laughs> off. Like, uh, uh, what? How are you doing that? <laughs> I had a, that was in my flex tone game. So I had my flex tone, right? Yeah. I had my flex tone three. He had um, uh, uh, Randy or Re Reggie, 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 who's, who's, um, God bless his soul. He, he's gone now. Um, had a, uh, early boss, um, multi-effects pedal, like their okay. second generation pedal, I want to say. So it was like, um, an ME5 or whatever they call yeah, it. The one, right, right, right. The one that preceded the ME50. Right, right. And then, and that was it. And it, and he played well, actually, that guy was really good too <laughs> it was one of those guys he had one guitar he owned one guitar and he had he owned a couple i guess at home but he had this ever one used guitar. The one. right that's right that's pretty much the one he used you could tell it was all worn it was one of the first made in mexico strats he bring yeah. to every gig um and he had that one pedal and he had that one amp and that amp was beat to hell um you know but that was his that was his thing and that's the thing you can you can be the other guy he he went on he he's um he's on a bunch of different video games and stuff like that he does he does television and video yeah, games yeah, yeah. And stuff like that now um very very um prominent um musician he's a, he was an awesome musician he, there's no question that he was an excellent musician and he and what's funny is he's the guy now when i look at him online um, he's got like he's got an Axe Effects, a Kemper, and a Helix. Yeah. He can't just have one. Um, and the stupid part about it is, those products are full of overlap. <laughs> I, I we I I wanted to have this conversation, but we'll 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 start and we'll see if it goes in the next episode. But um, because because I'm I'm wanting to wrap up. But, yeah, because uh, we got to go watch Game of Thrones, folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. We it's very important. Is, is Cersei going to die tonight? Who knows? All right. So, is Clegane Bowl going to happen? Who knows? Hey, you oh, should see oh. the biggest odds on Clegane Bowl before you watch. Oh, my God. Really? Are yeah. there biggest odds? I oh, yeah. Up. Like yeah. 1,000 to 1 they, they both Clegane's, uh, or that, that uh, they both Clegane's walk away. No, it's a million to 1. Yeah. That's <laughs> the, the, the odds are nuts. I saw it on, it was like on Men's Health or something. I just Googled it. Uh, maybe I got it open <laughs> to you. But anyway, um, what I started to say was like, look at how much overlap is in these modelers, right? Like every modeler I've ever touched had a Marshall 19, uh, 1968 59 SLP. All of them. All of them have a deluxe reverb. All of them have a Fender Twin. All of them, you know, it's like at some point, you know, when you have like a Kemper, a Helix, and an Axe Effects, you're getting the same crap, okay? <laughs> it may sound slightly different, but it's the same crap. <laughs> So you tell me that I just kind of shake my head and I'm like, that's just so you say you can. Like, <laughs> so when you get the gig and the guy asks, do you have an Axe Effects? Yeah, I got one. Yeah, well, actually, I really prefer if you have a Helix. I have a Helix too. <laughs> I, I'm not Kemper. You got a Kemper? Yes. <laughs> exactly. I, I, the thing is, so I'm trying to decide because I think next year I'm either going to go full on Helix or full on Kemper. That's one of those, two, it's, but it, those are two different things. I don't, I don't lie to myself and go, those are the same thing. They're not the same. Thing. I got a helix right here on the floor right next to me and I might be willing to part mm -hmm. with it soon. I know. I, uh, and I think about it. Cause I've been, here's the guy, here's the guy. Oh, I got this helix, but yeah. I really want the Axe effects. I mean, it's like, well, so I don't know. So like, I'm looking at the, um, 
I'm looking at the cheap axe effects that just got just got announced. The eight by twenty four replacement for the AX eight. Um, really? The only thing I don't like about it is some people are saying that it's only going to run one amp. Oh. And if it only runs one amp, the, not like it'll have models in it, but I mean it's only going to run one model at a time. Oh that's yeah, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. Um, but it's not really that much. Like honestly, the majority of the time I'm using the Helix is one amp model, so. Mm-hmm. It may not be that big a deal for me if the modeling is is good, and I there are a lot of professional features that are in Axe Effects that are not in Helix. Like for example, um, input output monitoring is a big part. Um, being able to see your compression curves, your EQ curves, and stuff as a graphical representation in the display. Like yeah. they're not using, the, I, as far as I know, there's no graphics processing unit inside the inside the Helix, or if there is, it's very rudimentary. Because if they had input-output monitoring on the Helix, I'd be, like, 100% happier. That That's something that they should add, and if they can. But actually, the tuner the tuner has a re- reasonable refresh rate. Why can't they show us input-output levels? Why can't they show us EQ curves? Like, it's, we're just left to kind of fumble around and hope that we're... I, we, we, I, you try... You don't have the... You have the... XFX or the HXFX, which is even worse because you've got the little bitty display. But on the big guy, like when you go to adjust your parametric EQ, it's all sliders. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how you adjust a parametric EQ. No, it's not. It's this. You know, I um uh with the HXFX, I never use I never yeah, use you're doing that. everything in the, so you know you you the sliders. So when you do a parametric EQ, right? It's these sliders that go all the across the screen. And yep. the other thing is it's impossible to drag things precisely. It is impossible. Oh. That's why I use the software because I can just you know, with the software, you have to double click and then type in the number to get what you want. Because yep. otherwise it's just it's it's painful. Like, yeah. oh no, not not seven seven point seven. Like, I want seven point seven seven point seven. Right? Do I have to type it? <laughs> and then they should provide quick entry for the keyboard. Like, I should be able to just hit the arrow keys and go through all the parameters, and just set them as I go. Yeah. Like this crap of like having to click on it and then wait for the cursor to appear and then type in it. Like, it's just ah, uh, it's infuriating. It's um, a pain in the rope. Give me a parametric EQ that functions like a parametric EQ in an application where you're dragging dots around. Like, that's easy. Um, yeah, I know, obviously, real parametric EQ is knobs, right? But to right. do it, like, in a modern DAW way would be so much better. Um, yeah. And to see the actual frequency curve of what you're adjusting. Oh, who'd have thought, right? Um, I, that's what I, I, I can't understand why you wouldn't have that. I don't know. I don't know. I th- I just wonder if the GPU can't handle it, and that's why, um, that's why. Oh, that's possibility. Yeah. So with that, uh, you know, with that revelation, um, it is time for click game ball. I have been David. I have been Jim. And tonight we have been the practical guitarist who also go, watch Game of Thrones. Go hound. <laughs> yeah, go hound. <laughs>